Subscribe to Inclusion Revolution Radio wherever you get your podcast. Progressive Snapshot can save you money based on how you drive and how much you drive. So the safer you drive, the more money you could save. Now, if you didn't hear that because you were looking at your phone while driving, let me say it again. Seriously, put down your phone. That is so unsafe. If you didn't do stuff like use your phone while driving, you could save money with Progressive Snapshot. But saving or not, just put it down. <clears throat> and if you did hear it the first time because you weren't looking at your phone, nice work. You'd love Snapshot from Progressive because it rewards safe drivers. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Snapshot not available in California and North Carolina or from all agents. Welcome to the Matt Lombardo Show, part of the Stacking the Box podcast. Please welcome your host, Matt Lombardo. What's going on, everybody? Welcome on into the Matt Lombardo Show right here inside Fansided Stacking the Box podcast feed. I'm Matt Lombardo, Fansided's national NFL insider. Great to have you here as football is finally back in full swing. We had a couple of preseason games on Thursday night before recording this on a Friday and some great games on the docket for this weekend and a big show ahead for you right here and right now. Jeff Schwartz will join me a little bit later to touch on some of the biggest storylines across the league entering this season and a lot of ground to cover. But before we do, as always, some housekeeping. If you like what you hear on the podcast, I'd really love it if you would go ahead and subscribe in the Apple Podcast Store, on SoundCloud, Spreaker, Spotify, all of your favorite podcast platforms. Just search for Stacking the Box, an NFL podcast. You get Mark Carmen and Matt Verderam on Tuesdays and every Friday, the Matt Lombardo show hits your podcast platform for you to tune in and listen to and I'd really appreciate those five-star reviews if you love what you hear on the podcast let me know leave those five-star reviews in the Apple podcast store it really helps grow the show and if there's a guest that you have in mind whether it's a player a former coach an analyst someone you want to hear from leave those five-star reviews and let me know and I'll go get them on. So before we get into everything else, I just want to start with the concern in Cowboys camp because it's starting to become very real. And we're going to find out more and more about the severity or lack thereof of Dak Prescott's injury situation and everything that that entails now that they're on hard knocks. We got a glimpse of it. We got a little bit of an appetizer last week, but we're going to find out more in the coming weeks about this quote-unquote exploratory precautionary MRI There's really no such thing. If you need an MRI in the NFL, if you need to be sent to the hospital or even to the medical tent to have an MRI undergone by a doctor, there's some level of concern there. And the Cowboys have really brushed that off. And Dak Prescott has brushed that off. And when you look at the Cowboys situation, you look at their ceiling in the 2021 season. When he's fully healthy, Dak Prescott is a top 10 quarterback in this league. And he might be better than that. He might be better than that, especially when you look at his supporting cast that might be among the three to five most explosive in the NFL. I mean, you talk about Ezekiel Elliott, Amari Cooper, CeeDee Lamb, Michael Gallup, weapons all over the place, a top five offensive line. If Dak Prescott is healthy and he's the centerpiece of that offense, this is a team that can make a real run. But the issue, the issue with this MRI, it raises some red flags. And we've seen it in practice over the last couple of weeks where Dak Prescott has participated, but he hasn't thrown any passes. That's just bizarre. And we're going to find out more about just how severe that injury is after this MRI. And if I'm the Cowboys, I have to be concerned about this because here's a guy in Prescott that you made the third highest paid quarterback in the NFL. You've invested $164 million in on his new extension. He's the most important player on your franchise. The the reason that you can be a Super Bowl contender 
or picking in the top 10 of the draft, depending on how things go, how badly things go, how much your season goes off the rails if he's not healthy, as was the case a year ago. If he's going for another MRI, to me, there's a level of concern there. And listen, it's certainly encouraging that in Thursday's practice, Dak Prescott threw 30 passes. That's encouraging. But what this MRI reveals or doesn't could really dictate the trajectory of the Cowboys' season. And I understand the Cowboys are being cautious, but there's just no such thing as a precautionary MRI in the NFL. They're downplaying this for some reason. And if you're the Cowboys, I'd be a little bit worried here. And just like we're going to find out more about Dak Prescott and his injury situation in the coming days... We're finding out a lot more. We're going to find out about these rookie quarterbacks and young quarterbacks in this league as much as you can find out from the preseason and from exhibition games that are kind of meaningless, especially when you get into the second half. But Thursday night, there were a couple of games and and some really interesting games and some really fascinating storylines that developed, both in New England with the Patriots hosting the Washington football team and in Eagles versus Steelers down in Philadelphia. And, you know, I saw a little bit of Mac Jones and I liked what I saw. I think that the name of the game and the biggest takeaway for the Patriots when it comes to Mac Jones and the word of the day to describe his debut is efficiency. He looked efficient out there. He finished 13 of 19 for 87 yards. He's a rookie quarterback. He's a first-round pick. And he showed you enough that the floor can be relatively high to build on. And that's the name of the game for these rookie quarterbacks and their teams. It's how do you continue to raise the floor and raise their level of play as the season goes along. And I thought that Mac Jones showed you enough that you can build on. He looked like a rookie quarterback, but he looked like a guy that if you keep him around Bill Belichick for a year, for two years, just narrowing it down into this season, that you know by midseason and maybe before that, he could legitimately push Cam Newton for the starting job for the New England Patriots by week eight or even sooner than that. And, you know, you travel down I-95, you get to Philadelphia, you watch the game that, you know, I I paid pretty close attention to Thursday night because it's the game that was on here. And I I saw two young quarterbacks going in very different directions in their career. And it was the second half when Dwayne Haskins comes in, Mason Rudolph gets the start and put together a couple of nice drives for the Steelers. Move the ball. What you'd expect a veteran backup quarterback to do, because look, Ben Roethlisberger is the starter for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And his health, his ability is really going to dictate the ceiling for the Pittsburgh Steelers this year. If he's the guy that was behind center for Pittsburgh for the first 11 or 12 weeks and you've dropped Najee Harris and Pat Fryermuth into that offense, okay, the Steelers can be in the mix in the AFC North. But if Roethlisberger isn't, then they're going to be a team that struggles to go 500. But just watching what happened on Thursday night, Dwayne Haskins did what he had to do and he moved the football, but I don't know that he planted the flag in supplanting Mason Rudolph as the Steelers' backup quarterback. I don't know that he planted the flag of playing well enough and being consistent enough 
to be a starting quarterback in the NFL again. Again, you're narrowing in on a half of football against third and fourth string defensive players late in an exhibition game. But he went 16 to 22, threw for 161 yards and a touchdown. But that touchdown came on a broken play. It was a pre-snap penalty by the Eagles. It was a free play for the Steelers. And the Eagles' defensive backs looked really out of position. It looked like they were trying to play some sort of zone defense, but nobody picked up the spot where the ball was going. And against a competent secondary, that ball's probably batted down. It's maybe intercepted in the end zone. And I think Dwayne Haskins still has very much to prove. He needs to show that he can be even a career backup level quarterback. And he has two more games to do it. Because if it doesn't work out, if he doesn't beat out Mason Rudolph for that number two job, do the Steelers really have any reason to carry three quarterbacks? Most teams don't in today's day and age. But if he doesn't play demonstrably better than Mason Rudolph does, I don't know where Dwayne Haskins ends up. And I think that he just showed you enough that he can be on the veteran backup circuit. And we'll see if he's able to do more than that over the next two preseason games. And in the same game, Jalen Hurts showed you enough with limited weapons around him. No Devonta Smith, no Miles Sanders. Those guys were scratches for various reasons. And I don't even think that Jalen Rager played. Hurts moved the ball really well for that Eagles offense. There was one play where he scrambled, didn't quite pick up the first down, but if it's a regular season game, maybe he lowers the shoulder, fights for the extra yard, maybe he jukes the defender, gets a couple extra yards, and had a couple of nice throws. And the fact that Quaz Watkins took a rocket screen 79 yards for a touchdown against a top 10 defense in the league, a top 5 to 10 secondary in the NFL... That's going to be a problem for teams. That kind of speed, when you drop it into an offense with Devontae Smith, with Miles Sanders, with Dallas Goddard, if Zach Ertz is still there and not traded by the end of training camp, you know, Jalen Hurts has some nice weapons around him. That Eagles offense could pack a little bit of a punch. And you talk about the NFC East and Dak Prescott is head and shoulders the best quarterback in the division. But after that, you have a lot of question marks. You have a lot of guys facing a lot of pressure for various reasons. But I think that Hurts, for as much pressure as you can take off of yourself in one game, I think he alleviated some of that. I think that he went out and he showed you that for this year, Hurts deserves that one-year audition to be the Eagles quarterback. That he might have raised the ceiling to continue the metaphor for the Eagles offense and for that franchise this year. And look, if everything goes well with Jalen Hurts, they're going to have two first-round picks. They might have three, depending on what happens with Carson Wentz and Quentin Nelson in Indianapolis. Of course, if those two guys stay healthy, Nelson staying healthy certainly helps Carson Wentz stay healthy. And the latest reports after last week's doom and gloom is that Carson Wentz is on track for making it back in time for week one. And if that's the case, and if he stays healthy and plays 75% of the offensive snaps for Indianapolis, the Eagles are going to have three first-round picks to build their roster out around Jalen Hurts. Again, it's one preseason game. You don't want to make a mountain out of a molehill. You don't want to draw too many wide-reaching and wide-ranging conclusions out of one half of football. But I thought Hurts played really well. And I think that he's a guy to watch as the season moves along. And we're going to find out a lot more about the young quarterbacks in this league. Saturday, you have Zach Wilson going up against the New York Giants. Now, Joe Judge is going to treat this game like the old fourth preseason game. It's going to be a lot of undrafted rookies, a lot of bottom-of-the-roster guys pushing for jobs, getting them and giving them a chance 
to put out quality film. But still, if Wilson does well, you're going to find out a little bit about him as a quarterback. We're going to find out a lot about Justin Fields and Tua Tagovailoa when they go up against each other. We're going to find out a lot about Jordan Love when he makes his 2021 preseason debut. We're going to learn a lot about these young quarterbacks, and we're going to learn a lot about football on the other side and the biggest storylines facing the league this year when we chat with Jeff Schwartz. Keep it locked right here on the Matt Lombardo Show, inside fan-sided Stacking the Box podcast feed. Jeff Schwartz joins me next. Underdog Fantasy is the fastest-growing fantasy app and easiest place to play fantasy sports. Just jump on underdogfantasy.com or download the app. Draft your team, and that's it. And if drafts aren't your thing, they also have a pick'em game where you can win 20 times your money in a single night. Use promo code RADIO, and Underdog will double your first deposit when you sign up with up to $100 in bonus cash. Deposit $100? Get $100 free. That's promo code RADIO. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back into the Matt Lombardo Show. And this is a conversation that I think is going to be a lot of fun. We get to pick the brain of somebody who's been in the trenches and a very invested observer of the NFL. And that's none other than Jeff Schwartz. You can follow him on Twitter, at Jeff Schwartz. Jeff, how you doing, man? I am fantastic. I am so happy that we have football back in its uh, usual form. we got the preseason happening right now, and it just feels great to – to have football back uh, as, as normal as possible. Yeah, it was really nice last night. We're taping this on a Friday morning on Thursday night to sit back and watch a little bit of Eagles Steelers, saw a few clips from Patriots Washington. And, you know, I had this idea and it dawned on me. We really need a red zone channel for the preseason because it's so hard to stay invested in at times preseason football. But if you had the red zone channel going with all the games that we've become so accustomed to on Sundays in the fall, I think it would really elevate the experience even higher. <laughs> I get that. I mean, you know, the, the issue, of course, is that you know, there's not a lot of games on anymore on specific days. I mean, it used to be where you know, everyone played on the same day, right? And now we have games Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So I don't know if Red Zone Channel would be would work as well. Plus, look, I mean, the second half of these games, if you're a general observer of of um, of, of football, not the best quality, right? If you're rooting for a specific team. Uh, they're more, uh, you know, they're more enjoyable, I think. But yeah, I think one of the big aspects of the preseason is is honing in on the bottom I mean, of the I, roster I, I really guys. Have no yeah. in the games, guys, a lot of these guys, you know, the, I, I didn't, you know, I, I've never played. You know, there's still some guys in the league I played with or I know very well. You know, they're playing with the first team. So these young guys, I mean, I, I'm not really there to watch a bunch of third stringers play, unfortunately. I, my time is not spent doing that. Of course. And, you know, we'll get into some of the preseason takeaways a little bit later on. But, you know, one of the biggest storylines early on in training camp across the entire league were the four retirements and, and three in a week from Giants camp with Joe Looney and Zach Folden, linebacker Todd Davis. And after a blow up 15 minutes into the first practice, Kelvin Benjamin walked off and retired. I mean, you've been in the building. You've been in the league. Jeff, when you see something like that happening, what's your big picture takeaway about what's going on in East Rutherford? Well, Calvin Benjamin won, I think, is separate of, of the other ones. I mean, he showed up overweight to camp, right? Yep. And I look, I, I have always fought this battle with teams about, about playing weight. Um, and that's a battle you typically have to fight before you leave for the summer, right? Because they expect you back at a certain weight. And not only was Calvin Benjamin not near his weight, he had gained weight over the summer, right? right. I understand the, the Giants' frustration with him. Um, look, the veteran offensive lineman, uh, look, here's the thing. I, I mean, 
the Giants were counting them to play, right? I, I know that fans think they're just scrubs and just veterans trying to hang on for a paycheck, but it's very clear they were counting on, on Looney and Fulton to provide them with, with some interior help. And you know, the argument of, well, Fulton didn't get the first reps when Shane Lemieux went out. Well, you know, the Giants know what Fulton can do, right? Sometimes the veterans don't get the reps in camp in those situations because they need to test the young guy out. I've been in, you know, I've been uh, part of my career really at the end of my career with the Lions. That was the case as well. Like the, the Lions knew what they had in me. I wasn't taking a bunch of reps. I didn't make the team because the young guys played well and, and that, that happens. Um, but you know, I, I, they knew what I could do. I didn't need to take a bunch of reps in camp and in, in the game when they need to see the, what, what, what the young guys can do. And it's very clear that they're going to miss those guys this year. And the thing about, the retirements is, is, yeah, there are retirements during camp. They happen all the time, but not very abruptly like this. And not from a bunch of offensive linemen. Like, these are veteran offensive linemen, respected guys who played a lot of time in the NFL and put in a lot of work. And for them to retire out of the blue, it's, uh, it's just odd. And I know Giants fans want to point the Raiders. Do you want to be looked at like the Raiders? Is that the example that you want to – oh, look, the Raiders had three guys retire. Okay, it's the Raiders, like – the Raiders have fewer example. playoff wins than they do relocations over the last decade. I mean, that, that's just yeah, where we're at with the Raiders. But, but I'm not sure that's the example you want to hold up. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, look, it was surprising. Again, I think that we've seen now through camp um, the Giants can really use those two guys. And I know on social media I've taken a lot of heat for even pointing out the nuance of that these things happened after a full squad training camp fight when Joe Judge made the entire team, chewed into the entire team, every other word was the F-bomb, you know, we can't repeat it on the podcast, all those things, made him run 100-yard gassers, ran 100 more yards, 10 push-ups on the whistle, 100 more yards, 10 more push-ups on the whistle, and one more run before kicking him out of practice. And, and, you know, tell me if I'm far off on this, Jeff, but, you know, I look at this situation, and I think that that would turn off a lot of older players who, you know, might not be used to that sort of thing. And that's not the reason they retired. And I think that Joe Judge runs a certain type of camp. It's an old school, fundamentally driven camp. And and while they run the penalty laps and they punish mistakes, they also ease off on a lot of guys. Kadarius Toney has done very little. John Ross, they're taking their time with him coming back from injury. I guess the, the point that I'm making is, Joe Judge isn't running guys off the team, but I don't think that that incident helped, given that those retirements, that spate of retirements happened right after that incident. No, they definitely don't help. And he, don't, and he shouldn't just, just gear his camp to two veteran offensive linemen. But I do think if you're Joe Looney, right, you show up, and I think he's year nine, right, eight or nine, and you, know, you run a lap the first day for a snap and a fraction. Oh, okay, I guess that happens. Belichick does that, right? So that must mean it's the greatest punishment of all time. And then, you know, the next day, a full team fight. And, and look, here's the thing. Um, I, I, I don't think running veterans sprints and pushups after a fight does anything but give resentment to the coach. Like, how does that – we're adults, man. Like, just tell us not to fight, right? We won't do it or yell at us or, or cuss us out or fine us. I mean, I've been – I play with two Hall of Fame coaches, Andy Reid and Tom Coughlin. I play with other coaches, Ron Rivera, John Fox, who coached in Super Bowls, Leslie Frazier, very respected head coach, and Jim Caldwell with Detroit. None of them made guys run after a fight. Like, they throw guys out of practice and just continue on because, you know, the, the respect comes from, hey, guys, just don't do this. Like, if you respect me enough as a coach, you will not do this. So I just find it kind of juvenile to make them run after a fight, especially, again, when a lot of guys weren't involved, like if I was in my ninth year in Detroit 
and they made me run after other guys fought, I'd be pissed, man. That's like, a great point. I, I'm 30, I'm 30 years old. I know like, why am I, what, I, it's not my, it's not my responsibility that, that you know, was it Logan Ryan who got in the fight. Like I'm Logan Ryan's not going to listen to me, tell him not to fight. Like what, what is, so I don't like, I just think that we have to understand, you know, fans kind of where the responsibility comes and making sure that these, you know, these things don't happen. And I want to address something too. We come an old school, right? Everyone, the Giants fans will be like, oh, he's an old school guy. Eh, uh, I'll give you old school, right? Andy Reid is old school. Andy Reid hits every day in camp. He's in full pads every day in camp. He gives his live tackling period. Tackle to the gun. I, I remember when he was a coach of the Eagles, and you want to talk about Joe Judge running guys' penalty laps. I remember him pulling a blocking sled out of the shed and having George Hageman, an offensive lineman, push the, shed, the, the, the sled 100 yards with reporters present and then, you know, cut him an hour later. So, yeah, you want to talk about old school. That, that's old school. That's Andy Reid. That's the way that he probably yeah, so, still to a certain extent operates. It, he does. Look, no, he has no vet days. No vet days. No one's taking a day off in Andy Reid's training camp. Like, that to me is old school. Making guys run after a fight. I, I, look, I understand the penalty last thing. All right. I mean, like, I read what Belichick said about it. You know, it's a good time to remind guys. I, I get it. I mean, to an extent. I mean, if you – look, we're, we're adults, right? Like, if we – and we're pros. Mistakes cost us money in the end, right? If we cannot stay on side, if we cannot snap the ball properly to the center, we're not keeping our job, right? So, right. Um, you know, I, I understand the idea of, okay, run a lap and make them think about their air. They won't do it again. But I, I think personal pride is the reason why, you know, you don't do it again, right? I want to keep my job. I, I want to keep getting paid to play in the NFL. And that's where I think, you know, why they're running. So, again, I'm with you. I don't think they're running – and I never said it. It didn't, anyways, force these guys out. But I think when you're on the fence about playing, and again, I don't know. I never. I didn't talk to Joe. I didn't talk to Zach Bolton. I don't know where their mindset is. But I know what I felt later in my career. You know, if you're on the fence about playing, and and coaches are making you run a bunch, you do push-ups a bunch, so you're kind of like, ah, I just, I think this is really not for me. And uh, it's fine. I, I, I always. Um, appreciate when veterans hang up. I played a year too long. I should have just retired after the Giants cut me. So I, I understand, um, you know, the, the feeling both ways. And so, again, like, I, I just – I don't buy that this is an old-school approach, um, making guys – I mean, I guess it's old and that no one really does it anymore. Um, but I, I don't think it makes a team, like, feel like they shouldn't do something anymore. I don't know. Yeah. I, I and, and maybe, look, maybe I'm totally wrong on the Giants or – they're going to be closer because of it. I don't know. Just I'm skeptical that that really is going to do very much to make them not fight anymore. For sure. And, and you brought up Andy Reid and you brought up personal pride. And, you know, I, I wonder if there's a team in the league that did more to improve their offensive line than Kansas City did. They go out, they trade for Orlando Brown, they sign Joe Thune in free agency. And it's almost like Andy Reid and Brett Veach, that personal pride kicked in for them after what happened in the Super Bowl to Patrick Mahomes and that relentless pass rush from Tampa Bay's front seven. And it's almost like they said, OK, we're going to make sure that never happens again. What do you make of their offseason additions and how much better do you think their line is going to be going into this year than it was playing in a Super Bowl with, what was it, four backups? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure a team has ever rebuilt their offensive line in quite this way in one offseason. And, again, some of it was planned and some of it I think just kind of fell into their lap. So, you know, Joe Tooney was obviously a big addition at left guard. And he was a free agent. Right? They paid the most money. Very easy to, to, to get him. You know, they really wanted Trent Williams. Um, that was, that was a, a guy they really wanted. 
didn't work out, and then they traded for Orlando Brown. And I am um, I'm a little skeptical of Brown's adjustment to this offense. Um, you know, it's a it's a it's a completely different offense that he ran in Baltimore. He's gonna have to pass protect 200 times, probably 250 more than he did uh, with Lamar Jackson as quarterback. So um, I think it's a good addition for the Chiefs because he was the best player they could have added. If you looked at what they were, you know, where they were drafting in the draft, the end of the first round, there really wasn't a great left tackle start now option for yeah. them. And so it makes sense to trade that first round pick for a guy who's starting right now. Right. I mean, I, I get their position on that. So I, I think he, he can be really good. I'm just, that's all I'm curious about there. And look, they kind of just fell into Creed Humphreys right at center. I don't think they planned on going to draft wanting Creed, but he was there and, and he's been starting from day one and no surprise, Oklahoma kid, very bright, uh, very physical, played with, uh, with multiple husband winning quarterbacks. I mean, the kid knows what he's doing and there's no doubt about it that um, the, the Trey Smith pick in the sixth round out of Tennessee might be the best of the entire draft. I mean, but the value there, he's a first, he's a late first round, early second round talent. If you watch his film at Tennessee and, and the blood clot issue is the one that, teams are really concerned about and that kind of dropped him to sixth round and you know that's you know the Chiefs did their due diligence obviously on it but that's just kind of falling into that one right and 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 slaughtered them and then Kyle Long got hurt and boom here comes Trey Smith and he, he won't give that job up and you look at right tackle Lucas is it Nang from last year um and then Mike Remmers Mike gets a bad rap he's he's a good player uh he just has had some unfortunate, you know, Super Bowl luck uh, with the Von Miller play that Panthers fans still talk about. And last year, he played left tackles, not left tackle guys. It's, it's, it's his first time playing there all season because uh, of the injury to Fisher. So, um, you know, they, they've just done a fabulous job. And what, what I think is important here is, um, and this is, I think, why, like, someone like Aaron Rodgers is kind of upset, right, is the Chiefs saw the weakness of their team, offensive line, this and they want to protect their quarterback. Mitch Brown did whatever they had to do to protect their quarterback. And not only did they get starters, but they have a ton of depth now too, right? They have yeah. returning starters from last year who if someone gets hurt, they won't be in the same situation you had in the Super Bowl. And we've seen the Chiefs lose two playoff games with Pat Mahomes and Andy Reid, uh, both of them to Tom Brady. Um, but one of them, you know, they scored 31 points, lost in overtime. The other one was, you know, he got hit all day. And, and even in that, in that Patriots game, Mahomes got, got hit a little bit in the first half. So that's their kryptonite, right? Is if we just keep Mahomes clean – no one's stopping us, and, and they know that. So that's what they did. They went out and found a way to solidify the offensive line. They got a lot of young guys, right? They might start three guys who, who have never played a snap at center, right guard, or right tackle. They got a tough Browns defensive line in week one. Uh, but I trust that Andy Reid will put up an offense uh, designed to help those guys early in the season. No doubt. And, you know, those additions certainly, I think, have a chance to really untap all the explosiveness of the skill positions around Mahomes. And, you know, you look around the rest of the league and for a long time, the Cowboys offensive line was head and shoulders above the rest of the NFL. I think they're still one of the top lines in the league. But, Jeff, when you look at, the, you know, all 32 teams, put them in a hat. Who has the best offensive line going into this year? It's probably the Browns. I mean, they have just their offensive line last year. Uh, was was rolling. You look at, at Jedrick Wills um, at left tackle, a great addition out of Bama. You know, Batonio is kind of the anchor of that offensive line at left guard. They're going to have it center and right guard and right tackle with uh, with with Teller obviously leading the way at, at right guard. Conklin came in last year. Treader at center, um, just a really deep offensive line. And Bill Callahan is a fantastic offensive line coach. The Saints' offensive line uh, continues to just be really good. 
I mean, it's kind of boring to talk about them. You know, they've been good for so many years now. Teron Armstead, left tackle, is emerging as one of the better players at that position in the NFL. They've added over the last couple of years in the draft, and they've hit home runs in those guys. Ramchick just got paid. Um, and you're right, the, you know, the Cowboys, if, if Teron Smith is healthy, Hall of Fame left tackle, of yep. course, right, Dax Martin, Hall of Fame right guard. Uh, the Lyle Collins coming back, above average right tackle. A little bit of issues. I think at left guard with Connor Williams kind of just hasn't been the guy that I think they expected when they drafted him. In the, it was a first round out of Texas. So a little questions there, but I think it's Cleveland um, and then uh, or New Orleans, kind of one or two to me. I mean, it depends on your flavor of, of offensive line. And, you know, on Thursday night, we saw Chase Young make Isaiah Wynn look like he was an undrafted free agent. And you're talking about a potential top 10 offensive tackle in the league. And Chase Young blew right by him, and it wasn't even much of a competition there. I watched Chase Young, and he's a guy who last year had something like 40 pressures, just a dominant player. How high is Chase Young's ceiling? Because to me, it just seems like this guy has a chance to be uh, one of the greats to play the position. Man, he is a freak. And, um, you know, the sack you referenced last night, I think was something he'd been working on, right? It was a kind of a new, a new move that was – pretty specific and, and pretty technical. And he kind of trapped wins outside hand and, and was able to kind of push, pull, and trap his hand and come underneath. It, it was, you know, the, I feel like these guys now, like, they're not even humans, man. Like, the, the, the amount of, of, of elite athletes that play defensive. I mean, when I came in the NFL 2008, I mean, you had a couple guys, but, like, it wasn't like it is now. All these guys, they work on their craft year-round, um, and and for to, to be so big and strong and be able to use your hands, it reminds me a lot of Julius Peppers, a little a little bit uh, different size body than Peppers, but just kind of the, the athletic ability to do whatever he wants in the field. Um, I think his I think to lead the league in sacks is something like plus eleven hundred, maybe somewhere around there. Um, a prohibitive favorite to say the least. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, I, I think that, that he'd be a good guy to put your money on. Yeah, Wynn had, had a little bit of trouble with him last night. And, you know, speaking of quarterbacks that Chase Young and these guys are going to be terrorizing, you know, from the past two drafts, some really strong talent at the position. You have Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert, Tua, Jalen Hurts, and then this year Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, and Justin Fields. When you look at those quarterbacks, Jeff, who's the guy that you would pick to build your franchise around moving forward from here? Good question. You know, a lot of this, comes into, into what system you're in, right? I mean, look, you even mentioned Trey Lance, but you put Trey Lance in that system with Shanahan, he's going to be good. Now, yeah. he might not be good if he left that system, but I mean, if you're betting on a guy in a system, I don't know how you bet against Trey Lance. I mean, everywhere Shanahan has been, the quarterback has been really good, and most of the time, the quarterbacks he's worked with are average. And one year he had an above-average guy was Matt Ryan, and I should have won the Super Bowl that year, right? Like, so you, you add Trey Lance in the mix, and you have to feel good you're a Niners fan. Look, I love Herbert. Uh, I, I have watched Oregon grad. I, I know that program well. I told everyone, just wait till you get to the NFL. There are a lot of inefficiencies in that, in that Oregon program, the offense, the wide receivers. And, and I'm just rooting for Justin Herbert. I mean, he, he got kind of crapped on through, through the process. People making up weird takes about, about him. And so I'm just I know it's really only practice, that- Jeff, but you watch some of the video coming out of Chargers camp, and, and it's just amazing whether it's the, the rocket throws in red zone periods, whether it's you know launching the ball deep downfield on back shoulder yeah. throws 50 yards down the sideline into a tight window. And, and I find myself thinking, okay, if he can adjust to a new scheme and a new head coach, 
the Chargers are a team that could really surprise, and he's a guy that can make a run at maybe a first-team all-pro position, maybe a sleeper MVP pick. I mean, I watched Justin Herbert, and I just think the sky is the limit for this kid. It, it is. I mean, the problem is you're in a division with a quarterback who's better than you, right? I mean, I think as good as Herbert can be, Mahomes is, is just better than him. And that's really not a knock on Herbert. I mean, Herbert could be, you know, he could be the, he could be like the, the, the Peyton Manning to the Tom Brady, right? Or like uh, the Tom Brady to Peyton Manning, uh, whatever, you know, you want to say. I mean, Peyton Manning obviously is a first ballot Hall of Famer. I mean, Herbert, I'm not, I'm not saying he's Peyton Manning, I'm just making that kind of, of course. Uh, that, that, that analogy, right? I mean, you could have two great quarterbacks playing at the same time in the same conference. I know they're in the same division for, for many years to come. The thing about the Chargers is, you know, they just are one of these franchises that just, it never goes right for them. So I, I just, I'm curious if this is the time where things go right for them. And so I, I really do hope, I'm a, I'm a big Herbert fan. The, the most fascinating part I've found about quarterbacks the last five, six, seven years now is, you know, it's really, it's, the, the the way we evaluate these guys has changed, right? It used to be where, you know, the high trait guys, the make plays out of the pocket guys were like, ah, I'm not really that fits the NFL, right? And, and you looked for more that pocket passer, that guy who's very accurate from the pocket, who's not going to move terribly well, but he's all in time. And now I feel like these high trait guys are, are what is, is the ceiling, right? It's, it's, it's where we're looking now. We're looking to find guys with these traits and, mold your offense to them. And I think that's a big change. And that's why we're seeing a lot of young quarterbacks. You see, we've never had a time with more good quarterbacks in the NFL, I think. I mean, we, you know, Derek Carr is a middle-of-the-road quarterback. And, you know, 10 years ago, he'd be in top five, right? I yeah. mean, like, you, you, you'd find these guys. You know, Herbert right now is – kind of people have, like, 10 to 12. I mean, 10 years ago, people would be like, he's the second-best quarterback behind Tom Brady. I mean, like, it, it, the, there's so many quarterbacks now – um, and I think it's because offenses are doing a really good job of tailoring their offensive quarterback where for a long time, that wasn't the way that, that things were done. And I want to drill down on that real, real quick here, Jeff, because I wrote about it in my column this week that there's this steadfast belief that Joe Burrow is an elite and surefire franchise quarterback, but he's coming off the torn ACL and by all accounts and everything coming out of Cincinnati, it hasn't gone well this summer and he's struggling to make throws and Jamar Chase, it's been a little bit of a slower buildup and ramp up for him than a lot of people expected. But then you look in Miami and people write off to a tag of Iola like he's, you know, yesterday's news, but the Dolphins go out and they get Jalen Waddle, they get Will Fuller, they have Mike Gesicki there in place. There's a lot of talent there. Devontae Parker, Preston Williams is back. There's a ton of talent, yet nobody talks about Tua taking that step and becoming a franchise quarterback. And, and I'm just wondering why people are so quick to put Burrow in that category and, and so quick to discount Tua's potential. Good question. I mean, I think when we look at, at them, they're kind of two different quarterbacks. I mean, Burrow is pushing the ball downfield. Um, he's making plays while being pressured and hit. And he got sacked like 30 times in however many games he played last year. Not, not that many, right? We look at Tua and, you know, the, the offense is, is more geared toward him. It, it just wasn't able to push the ball downfield very much last year. I didn't really see the optics of, of getting benched. Um, Kind of really hurt him, right? I mean, you, you yeah. had him starting games and Fitzpatrick coming in and looking totally different than that offense. And, and look, it's fair to make the argument that the offense, at least structurally, looked like it changed a lot when, when Fitz came in, right? More pushing the ball downfield, uh, more wide open offense. It seemed that when Tua was in, 
they reined everything back in. You can make the argument that, hey, look, maybe that's because they didn't trust Tua to be in a more wide-open offense. So this year, obviously, he's the starter. The offense is geared 100% toward him. And so I'm curious to see how and if he's able to push the ball a little bit more downfield. I, I think there's general skepticism with these Alabama quarterbacks because it looks so easy in college. You're playing with all these professionals. You're probably the best offensive line uh, in many years in college football. And we've seen the lack of success a lot of those quarterbacks have in the NFL. So I think there's a, a skepticism naturally with Tua for that reason, right? Um, and his injuries in college and, and Joe Burrow, yeah, his offensive line was okay in college, but he was running for his life a lot in college. He's still able to make a lot of those throws. And so I guess the NFL does the same thing. I think we look at, at those college evaluations, and that kind of muddies the picture for how we look at them as pros so far. And Jeff, last one before I let you go, this has been great. It's been a lot of fun. You know, give me your surprise team this season, the team that everybody's kind of looking at as an afterthought right now. We're going to wake up in December or January and say, holy smokes, how did they make the playoffs? Or how did they become the two seed in the NFC or the AFC? Who's your surprise team that shocks the world this year? I mean, it's the Cowboys, but Dak Prescott's having this MRI that they're making out to be like nothing. Like, oh, just another MRI, everyone. Right. Look, our starting quarterback. It's a, it's a precautionary MRI, which is not a thing that happens in sports. You don't have precautionary MRIs. Um, I mean, I've said all along, it's the Cowboys, right? Everyone's, you know, look at their wide receiver talent and their off lines back healthy and defensively, they can't be any worse than last year. And they play in that division where Dak is by far the best quarterback. But I mean, he, 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 if he can't play, then the Cowboys are going to be bums again next year. So I can't really, this year, I should say, um, I, you know, the Niners are a surprise team. I, 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 I defensively, a little question in the secondary, but pass rush will be fierce again. The offense is going to be good with Jimmy G or Trey Lance. Are they a surprise team in that division? I, I guess. I mean, I don't, I don't think there's a, a worst to first, like, oh my God, I can't believe this team made the playoffs this year. I, last year we didn't have it either, by the way. There was no worst to first last year. And there are a lot of years when that's been the case. I think the best argument for that would be Jacksonville. If the Colts and Wentz, you know, you don't play very much and the Titans, let's say, drop off a little bit, with, you know, without Arthur Smith calling plays anymore. Um, and the Texans are just, I mean, the, the Texans can win a game this year. I don't, I don't even know. So I, I, those are the options. I, I don't, I just don't see really out of nowhere um, in the NFL right now. I, I feel like we're pretty much kind of very top heavy. Uh, with the teams that, that we like. For sure. I, I tend to agree with that. Jeff, this has been a lot of fun. Tell me about the Jeff Schwartz is Smarter Than You podcast, where people can find it and what they're in for every week, if it's as fun a roller coaster ride as this conversation has been. Well, yeah, it is. Uh, it's <laughs> a lot of fun. Look, um, I just try to make you smarter football fan. I know people think that that means I hate your favorite team or, I, you know, especially Giants fans, I hate Joe Judge. I don't care less about Judge. I, don't, I never met the guy. I do not care. I just tell you how it is. And, that's what my podcast is, man. Like, I'll just tell you my thoughts on football. I don't try to make friends. I have enough of them. I don't need any more. And I just try to make you a smarter football fan. Like, that's the goal of my podcast is when you listen to uh, to what I have to say about sports. And we're going to add some more college, I think, this season to the podcast as well. Uh, just telling you what I feel. And uh, I hope you guys enjoy it. I have a lot of fun doing it. And you um, guys check it out. Of course, check it out on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Spreaker, all your podcast platforms. And check out Jeff Schwartz on Twitter, at Jeff Schwartz. Jeff, really enjoyed the conversation, really enjoyed the insight. Terrific, as always. And I'll talk to you further up the road, my man.
All right, take care, bud. Thank you. That was certainly a lot of fun, and I was joking around with Jeff before our conversation that the name of his podcast, Jeff Schwartz is Smarter Than You, is just perfect. It fits his personality, it fits the theme of the pod, and I certainly feel a lot smarter talking football with Jeff, and hope you enjoyed that conversation as well. And I think he's onto something with the Cleveland Browns offensive line being among the best in the league, and they're a really interesting team. When you look at Baker Mayfield, I spoke with Doug Eldridge, an NFL agent this week for my column. If you missed it, go to fansided.com and check it out. I thought he provided some really fantastic insight from an agent's perspective on how Josh Allen's contract impacts Lamar Jackson and Baker Mayfield. And he said flat out, and an executive that I spoke to agreed with him, that Baker Mayfield is best positioned to bet on himself and capitalize on the kind of contract that's going to be really similar to Josh Allen's by the end of this year. And we've talked about it a lot. I think Andrew Barry is a rising star among executives in the league. I think he did a tremendous job this offseason. And really, with the talent they've assembled, if, if they maximize that potential, if they win the AFC North, if they win 11, 12, 13 games, if they're the team that knocks off the Kansas City Chiefs in a bid for three straight Super Bowl appearances, then Andrew Barry could win executive the year and Baker Mayfield could really cash in. They have arguably the best running back duo in the league. They have great weapons at wide receiver in Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham Jr. and a defense that just keeps getting better and keeps getting more dominant. So great conversation with Jeff. I agree with him on the Browns. I think that it's going to be really interesting to see if Chase Young can maximize his potential and take a major leap this year. We'll talk more about Chase Young on the other side. So keep it locked right here on the Matt Lombardo Show inside Fansided Stacking the Box podcast feed. How do you make a radio ad for an 8K TV that conveys the feeling of 33 million pixels with over a billion shades of color hitting your eyeballs? This is the best we can do. Samsung Neo QLED 8K. Unreasonably good. Welcome back into the Matt Lombardo Show, and thanks again to Jeff Schwartz. Be sure you check out and subscribe to his podcast, Jeff Schwartz is smarter than you. I already have. I can't wait to listen to my first episode once this episode is all said and done. And, you know, one of the big matchups this weekend is going to be Justin Fields versus Tua Tagovailoa. And if you missed my column on Wednesday on fansided.com, go check it out because I just find it really fascinating that the perception out there is that Joe Burrow, a former number one overall pick, is this can't-miss franchise quarterback. And listen, last year, my debut column on fansided.com was comparing the exuberance around Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow and taking the temperature of executives and coaches inside the league on who has a higher ceiling. And Burrow certainly, inside the NFL, commands a lot of respect, and rightfully so. I'm not sitting here trying to say that Joe Burrow isn't going to be a great quarterback or that the Bengals don't have, at worst, a top 15 quarterback on their hands, because I do believe he has all the tools. And I do believe, I've said this before on the podcast, that when you throw Jamar Chase into an offense with Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins, that's a top 10 to top 12 receiving court, maybe even better than that. And if Burrow can return to his pre-injury form through the first nine weeks of his rookie season, then the Bengals are going to be a sleeper team to watch to a certain extent. But Burrow needs to make that leap. Burrow needs to make that step. Burrow needs to maximize all that talent around him. And let's be real here, 
Jamar Chase's ramp up as a top five pick in the draft hasn't gone swimmingly in Cincinnati. You hear reports about him dropping passes and how he's going through early growing pains. Receivers do. That's why it sometimes takes two, three seasons for a wide receiver to truly reach his potential and hit his stride. But you could have taken Penai Sewell there. You could have taken Rashawn Slater there. You could have taken a tackle to protect Joe Burrow. But Burrow pounds the table for his guy and gets Jamar Chase the Bengals need to level up and Burrow needs to prove it, whether that's the perception or not. Meanwhile, in Miami, you look at Tua and he went through that really bizarre season. But what nobody's really talking about is while Tua Tagovailoa might have been healthy enough to play a full season last year, he was still coming off that devastating hip injury at Alabama. He's fully healthy now. And the Dolphins went out and they brought in Will Fuller. They brought in, well, rather they're getting back Preston Williams. They have Devontae Parker. They drafted Jalen Waddle, reuniting him with his college quarterback. And they have Mike Kosicki at tight end. They have a lot of weapons. They have a top five defense in the league and a really bright head coach in Brian Flores. So it's going to be really fascinating this season to watch Burrow and watch Tua and watch their trajectories and watch the narratives change. Now, we touched in the first segment on the fact that the Eagles have potentially three first-round picks to build around Jalen Hurts if he makes the strides this year. Miami's in a similar situation. They have three picks over the next two to, if they need to replace Tua, go and put a package together for a Deshaun Watson. What a mess that is, by the way. And Aaron Rodgers or move up to take the top quarterback in either this class or next. They have the ammunition to do it. But I think it's unfair to Tua not to give him the same latitude and the same sort of expectations and the same sort of clean slate that Joe Burrow has with the Cincinnati Bengals. So Tua is going to be a player to watch. Same for me with Joe Burrow. And this weekend when Tua goes up against Justin Fields, Man, look out, because you're looking at highlights out of Bears practice and the uh, the throws, the tight window throws, the deep spirals, making throws on the run. Justin Fields looks like a veteran in this league already. And you talk to coaches, you talk to people inside the NFL, you talk to people in the Bears organization, and they just are effusive in their praise of Justin Fields. Now, I'm really going to wonder if this goes well, if Fields comes out like gangbusters, they have to start on week one. Right? You can't go to Andy Dalton week one with so much pressure on that entire organization from the general manager on down to Matt Nagy, the head coach. You've now tied yourself and married yourself to Justin Fields. If he looks like a number one starter, you need to play him week one. I mean, just think back to Carson Wentz's rookie year in Philadelphia, and there are parallels there because John DeFilippo was the quarterback coach for the Eagles, and he's now the quarterback coach for Fields and the Chicago Bears. It wasn't until the Saturday before the season opener, like six days before, eight days before the regular season kicked off, that the Eagles decided reversing course from Sam Bradford to Carson Wentz as the starting quarterback. You could see something similar in play here because all offseason you heard about Andy Dalton being the guy, that infamous tweet of him being QB1, so to speak. Well, you might find yourself a week before the season with Justin Fields as QB1, and rightfully so. And we've talked a lot about quarterbacks. We've talked a lot about young quarterbacks throughout the course of this podcast. And they're going to be one of the storylines that threads this entire season because I think that young quarterback play, the teams that have elite quarterbacks and the teams that have bright young stars at quarterbacks, they now make up two-thirds of the league. 
And, you know, you heard Jeff Schwartz talk about how teams are top-heavy. I think we're also top-heavy in terms of teams that have quarterbacks versus those that do not. And it's not a coincidence that we've had two or three really strong quarterback draft classes in a row to help these teams find their quarterbacks. But the man who's going to make quarterback play a living hell for every quarterback on his schedule is Chase Young. And man, I was just blown away by what I saw Thursday night when you had Chase Young going up against Isaiah Wynn. Wynn's a top 15, and you can make a case a top 10 offensive tackle in this league. You look at last year, he only allowed 40 pressures and six sacks in something over 400 snaps. And Chase Young, early in that game, made Isaiah Wynn look like a guy who should be playing in the fourth quarter, who's trying to win a job to prevent himself from selling used cars next week. That's how dominant Chase Young was. And you take it a step further, Jeff Schwartz brought it up. That was a move that Chase Young is just now practicing, just now refining. That might be the third or fourth pass rush move in his repertoire, and he made it look easy. Listen, I I watched Chase Young last year. I watch a lot of Big Ten football, so I saw Chase Young at Ohio State through his entire collegiate career. This is a guy who I think has the chance to be first-team All-Pro this year, push for defensive player of the year this year, and he had six sacks as a rookie. You could double that. You could see Chase Young push for 12, 13, 14 sacks. He is that good. He is that dominant. And that was a statement against Isaiah Wynn that put the rest of the NFL, every other offensive tackle in the league, not just in the NFC East, but every offensive tackle on Washington's schedule on notice that you're going up against potentially one of the greats at the position when you're lining up opposite Chase Young. And here's the next level here. That's one of the more dominant front sevens in the NFL. That's one of the more dominant defensive lines in the entire league. So that's going to present opportunity for Chase Young to really get after the quarterback. So that was one of my big takeaways from the first week of the preseason, the first night of the preseason, that Chase Young is really, really good, that he has a chance to be one of the greats. And I think he's well on his way to reaching that level and having that kind of season this year. And this week, we surveyed the Twitter followers. Again, you can follow me on Twitter at Matt Lombardo NFL, looking for your questions, your NFL wide questions. And we're going to answer them every week on the podcast. And Sam Peebles checks in at S Peebles Sports. Who has a better year this year, Saquon Barkley or Ezekiel Elliott? And listen, I love Saquon Barkley. I think that he is the centerpiece, of course, of the Giants offense, one of the more versatile running backs in the league, a top five player at his position. And if he's fully healthy this year, if there's no ill effects from that ACL and he comes back 100%, I think Saquon Barkley can be a 1,200 to 1,300 yard all-purpose guy. But in this conversation, Ezekiel Elliott coming back trim and fit, extra motivated with Dak Prescott potentially back in full strength in that offense with so many weapons around him behind, let's face it, a top three offensive line in the league with at least two Hall of Famers and Lyle Collins being a potential all-pro player at his position. I, I don't know how you don't see Ezekiel Elliott pushing for the rushing crown this year. I don't see how you don't look at Ezekiel Elliott as a guy who could rush for 12, 1,300 yards, that he could be that type of a player. And, and Barkley, for all of his athletic gifts, for all of his God-given ability, for all of the work ethic that helps him maximize those things, the Giants offensive line is a disaster right now. They're getting dominated one-on-one in practice every day. 
at least the days that I'm up there, two, three days a week by the Giants defensive line. And you're, you're asking Andrew Thomas to make the leap from being a, a top 20 or so offensive tackle in the league as a rookie who was chosen number four overall to be a top 10 overall pick. You're asking Matt Pert, chosen in the third round, to be a starting right tackle in this league, probably needing to be a top 15 tackle in this league to really anchor that line. You have Nick Gates in his second season at center. Shane Lemieux has looked promising at times in camp, but he got banged up and missed time. He's a fifth-round pick. And Will Hernandez, you know, this is a make-or-break year. You talk to people around the league. You talk to, you know, insiders. There's a lot of optimism about Will Hernandez. But I don't know that I've seen it translate to the practice fields, and that means that I don't know that it's going to translate into this season. So you look at Barkley running behind that line, and you look at Ezekiel Elliott running behind that offensive line, I think Elliott has the chance to have one of the best running back seasons of anybody in the league this year. So to answer your question, Sam, I'm taking Ezekiel Elliott over Saquon Barkley. And then Mike Lucine, NFL, on Twitter, he's at Rough Draft Mike, wants to know my first impressions of Kendarius Tony, my early observations of the Giants' first-round pick. Listen, he's done very little. And it's just been one kind of mini disaster after another. He didn't participate in, in a significant chunk of the voluntary workouts this spring. He tests positive for COVID-19 the day he checks in for training camp as a rookie this summer. And it's been a really slow, elongated ramp up for him where he's done very little in full team drills. Now I'll say this, he's gotten a handful of reps and a handful of snaps with the first team offense and made a couple of nice catches from Daniel Jones. But it just seems like between the shoe not fitting right in rookie minicamp, that taking him off the field, leaving practice early during a minicamp practice because of some sort of minor injury, and now this slow ramp up. There was real opportunity for Kadarius Toney once John Ross went down this week with a hamstring injury to plant his flag as the number four wide receiver on the Giants hierarchy. That hasn't happened. David Sills is against is ahead of Kadarius Toney on the depth chart, as is Ross. I temper the expectations a little bit for Kadarius Tony, but I'm certainly not going to temper my excitement and my expectations for the NFL being back. I'm going to be at Giants Jets on Saturday night. I'm going to be watching some of the bigger games this weekend and tweeting about them for sure. So check me out on Twitter at Matt Lombardo NFL. And I can't wait to talk about it all next week. And Thanks, as always, to Fanside. It's Cole Thompson, who's instrumental every week in putting this podcast together. Thanks to Jeff Schwartz for dropping by. Follow Jeff on Twitter, at Jeff Schwartz. Again, if you like what you hear on the podcast, would love it if you subscribe to the Stacking the Box podcast in Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, Spreaker, all your favorite podcast platforms. And you can follow me on Twitter, at Matt Lombardo NFL. Have a great week, everybody. I'll talk to you next week right here on the Matt Lombardo Show inside Fanside. It's Stacking the Box podcast feed. At Progressive, you can get 24-7 protection, even if you break the space-time continuum. Ted, wake up. What? You look exactly like me. I am you, Ted, from the future. You need to call Progressive. What? Why? Well, they have 24-7 protection when you bundle your home and auto. And my teleportation cube just smashed into your car. Wait, you crashed into my car? Technically, it's our car. Progressive offers more than a great price when you bundle home and auto. We offer round-the-clock protection, which literally means anytime. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and third-party insurers and subject to policy terms. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations.